It's Wednesday, May 9th, 2018. Welcome to the Philly First Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chesko. And Chad, in the four years we've been doing the shows, you know I've had to be somewhat creative with locations in the past, from many different hotel rooms to a street corner in Orlando, <clears throat> a Wawa parking lot in my truck, and even an airport terminal. But tonight we're going somewhere we've never been before. We are live at Kalapaki Joe's Sports Bar in Kaloa, Hawaii, the westernmost <laughs> sports bar in the United States. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm in Hamilton, New Jersey, which is not quite as uh, exotic. Well, I can tell you, Calipacky Joe's is, uh, is a nice little place here. Uh, TV's all over, and uh, but it is famous for being the westernmost sports bar in the U.S. of A. I'm sure. I'm sure you're having a great time, Bill. We can talk a little more about that later on. Uh, I know you're having fun. Who wouldn't have fun in Hawaii? Yes, sir. Well, hey, the Sixers live to play another day by whipping the Celtics in game four behind the play of that T.J. McConnell actually getting in there. The up and down Phillies are on the up again, getting great pitching from Aaron Nolan and Jake Arrieta on a regular basis. And don't forget, those Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl 52 champions. All true, Bill, and we'll be talking lots of Sixers later on when we're joined by Brothers MC podcast co-host and a big-time NBA follower, Matt McClure, but we're going to talk a little baseball first this evening. Yeah, but let's, uh, while we're waiting on our buddy Dave Raymond to join us, uh, the Philly Fanatics' best friend, we'll, uh, let's talk a little bit about them fighting Phils. They're getting great pitching, as I said, from from Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta just about every night out. Dubal Herrera is second in the league in hitting. Uh, he's on fire, been on base 37 straight games. And somehow the Phils are sitting here a half game out of first place in the East. Yeah, they are. And it's kind of exciting. I mean, you know, they had, they had uh, the rough start, then they played great for a while. Now, lately they haven't been playing great, but neither has the rest of the National League East. So they're still very much right in the mix. You got four teams separated by, what, a game and a half or two games or something. So, yeah, so far so good, 35 games in. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it at the 20 game, Mark. And, uh, you know, they were looking good. They were second in the league in hitting and second in the league in, in uh, run, less runs allowed. Um, so here we are, we're, we're at 35 games and 13 and five at home, not too shabby. No. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk a lot of fills at some point, but, uh, let's talk a little mascot first, because we've got our guest on the line. You want to introduce him? Yes, sir. Let's welcome back to Philly press box radio. We haven't had him since uh, July of 2015. Dave Raymond, the Philly fanatics, best friend. Welcome back to the show. Hey, guys, it's great to be here. Uh, sorry I'm a little bit uh, tardy on the call, but uh, I've been running around uh, taking care of uh, kids, and you know you know the, the story. It's, uh, it's uh, one thing after another here, but I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you tonight. And, Dave, Appreciate you it. should know this. Bill, Bill is actually on vacation out in Hawaii, so he's living the tough life right now. <laughs> we should have made him call in. Oh, he's there. That's him. Oh, he's there. Oh, Bill, you're there. I thought you were telling me that Bill wasn't there. And so, Bill, you're calling from Hawaii. Well, that's, uh, I, I, I want to switch that around. Uh, the, things, the things we have to do, Dave. You know, you know Dave, funny thing, uh, when I was kind of leading in that I'm at the uh, westernmost sports bar in the United States right now, Pat Kalapaki Joe's out here in, uh, in uh, Kauai. 
but the last time we had you on in July, I was in an airport terminal in Charlotte. So I don't know, you bring <laughs> out the best in me. I remember that. There was a lot of bells and whistles and, and bongs going yes. on uh, with yeah. flight announcements and everything. But, but, hey, look, the show goes on. That's yeah, right. he's a world traveler. All right. Anyway, Dave, thanks for doing this again. As uh, we noted, you were on in 2015 with us. At that time, the fanatic was just a kid still at age 37. Now he's 40. We have a bigger audience than we did three years ago, Dave. So for those who missed your 2015 visit with us, can you just sum up how the Philly fanatic came to be back in the winter of 1977-78 and how he looks so young still at age 40? <laughs> well, it's just well because he's a he's a Darwin experiment that went awry. That's how the fanatic plan was was created. So uh, age they don't age the way we do. They they seem to always be young, which is which is great for the Philadelphia Phillies fans for sure. Um, you know the the, the, was the brilliance of Bill Giles, um, former owner of the Phillies, and, and was my boss when I was there, and um, and he just wanted to make sure that uh, we had entertainment for everybody. And, and the thought was, well, if, if, if there, there are going to be times in baseball when the team is not playing well, that's just the nature of this, of this game. And at the time at Veteran Stadium, it could hold 65,000 people for, uh, for a baseball game, which is relatively unheard of with the new stadium uh, currently. So, you know, we needed to have the whole family come out. So he wanted to, uh, you know, to find a feature that would be uh, developing new fans that would be entertaining people beyond the game. And, and, and really that's, the fanatic was was his yes to being a 300 pound green furry muppet and in charge of uh, entertaining the same fans that doing Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. So, but I wanted a job, so uh, it was it was really kind of a, the perfect storm of some wonderful create creativity um, and uh, and the Phillies organization uh, willing to laugh at themselves. Um, and then somebody like me, who I was a gigantic Philadelphia Phillies sports fan my whole life, and to have a job with the Phillies as an intern was a dream. And this was an opportunity for me to prove to them that I would do anything uh, to have a job with them. So, um, so it, it was really the convergence of some perfect storms of, of, of luck and, and great creativity and fun. Does it surprise you at all, Dave, that all these years later, and in an era where so many people have short attention spans and are always looking for the next great thing, that the fanatic is still extremely popular and still considered by many to be the best bas- best mascot in sports? Well, it, it certainly is. Based on that first day, you know, in April of uh, 25th of, two, of 1978, it's a surprise from then. But as I've watched it progress, and, and it's really a responsibility of the Phillies to steward him so well and treat him like he's a, you know, a living, breathing entity. And, um, and I just think it's, um, it's timeless. That, you know, I spend time telling my 13-year-old a little bit about who Mike Schmidt was. Um, in another 10 hmm. years, that'll be difficult to do. Um, you know, if you haven't seen Mike play or, you, you know, you don't know what he meant to baseball or what he meant to Philadelphia, I mean, certainly the history books will see but the fanatic never gets old, like you mentioned. So I, I have 10, 11-year-olds come up to me when their father says or their mother says, you know who this guy is? You know, he was, he was the original fanatic, and their, their mouths drop open. I mean, it's, it's timeless. So it, it will always be creating new fans, and I, I think that's the beauty of what it does. The magic that started, you know, back in 1978 continues each and every year. Um, and, and Tom Burgoyne, who is the current best friend of the fanatic, has continued on um, in, with that great talent to, to entertain and, and to understand the uh, heartbeat of the Philadelphia Phillies fans. Yep. 
Hey, Dave, as, as the 40th birthday is here, uh, are you involved in any activities along with Tom? Uh, are, are you guys doing anything together, or is it um, just just Tom doing what the Phillies do? Well, well, Tom, first of all, is one of my best friends, and we get together as much as we possibly can, which is which is usually uh, – well, during the season, it's, a, it's probably once or twice a month we, we see each other or talk on the phone. And um, we're, we're planning to do some internal uh, celebration here at some point uh, this year. They're not doing anything official other than his birthday party that just occurred uh, uh, two Sundays ago. And uh, Tom and I really – we just collaborate as friends and talk about the business all the time. Um, and he, you know, he, he, when he first came to the Phillies – uh, five years before I, I retired, we were we became friends and we collaborated on a lot of things we do. So we, we still talk about what, what works and what's uh, great about it and what they're hoping to do. And he's, he's written a number of children's books, so I've gone to some book signings with him. We, we do speaking engagements together. Um, we're doing an autograph signing coming up uh, this, uh, this weekend. I guess it was next weekend. So, you know, we, we are, our, our families are friendly, and, and it's just been a wonderful friendship over the years. Well, and speaking of that, and, and you guys, as you say, knowing each other so well and being friends, it, you know, this isn't going to last forever for Tom either, I guess. And uh, do you envision a training period type of thing for the next guy? Or is this something that uh, will kind of let evolve to the creativity of the next person? How do you see the Phillies handling that? Well, I think, you know, what's cool is, is Tom has been, you know, the central – person involved in that and, and we have uh, a number of uh, friends of the fanatic that's as you will and there's there's a gentleman by the name of troy uh, satin that has just been uh, wonderfully uh, involved and talented kid and, um, and i think with tom's work with him that uh, our whole the whole job that we have that i you know passed on to tom and he's going to pass on to to probably to Troy is, is about this consistency of a personality and understanding who the fanatic is and how he responds. And, um, and it's just going to continue on. It, it goes beyond the, the, the people who are the human beings who are performing. It, it's, it's transcended that and it's become this character of its own. And now, now the, the, the people next and the people after this next one, it, it will all be about, you know, re- retaining that great personality that the fanatic has presented and being authentic and true to him. And, and, and I, that, that I don't think will change with the people that move in and out of, of working with the fanatics as best friends. Yeah. If my memory serves me correct, I think I met Troy back in mid-March down in Clearwater when uh, he was there, down there for spring training. Um, yes. Dave, he, we good, talked good about, guy. yeah. We, yeah. Yep. We talked about Tommy Lasorda last time, not being the biggest fan of the fanatic. Were there some players who didn't really enjoy the fanatics shtick? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's funny because the, the players that didn't really enjoy, unlike Tommy, the players who, who didn't enjoy me just didn't er, interact with me. And my process was to reach out to the players and say, hey, if you want to do anything, I'm available. If you don't want to be involved with me, make sure you tell me and I will leave you alone. And and that's pretty much the way it works. So my stories are all about the guys who who love to work with a fanatic. One of my favorite stories is to is to tell the story about Dave Parker. Uh, the Pirates at the time were certainly rivals of the Phillies, and some of the more fun players in terms of the Fanatic working with were on the Pirates team, all the way back to, to um, uh, Manny Sanguian. Um, but, you know, with this group, with Willie Stargell and Dave Parker and, and Mad Dog Matlock, they had some great personalities and great people. Well, Dave Parker loved to play the part of the bad guy. 
and I got to know him a little bit out of out of costume, and he told me, "Listen, I just want you to know, I love fooling around with you, but everything everything I'm going to do to you is going to be mean. I'm going to either slap you or trip you or push you down, because I love it when these blankety blanks boo me here in Philadelphia." <laughs> so, so he, so he, so he told me this, and I said, "Okay, great, I love it because whatever I could do." So, sure enough, the next game, he was walking out to to stretch a warm up, and I was following behind him, and then. Then I turned around and he, he yelled at me, hey, and I turned around and then he just slapped the fanatic right across the nose and I, of course, did a big pratfall and, and I looked like I was knocked out and, and slowly dragging myself to my feet and the, and the fans are boo, boo, booing him and they booed him the whole time he was out there. He just ignored him, really nasty look. He, when he got done stretching, he walked past me, he pushed me again to get out of the way, looking nasty. They're booing him. He gets back in the dugout and sits up on the top you know, the back uh, step of the dugout where the fans can't see him. And I'm walking by, he yells at me, Hey, and he looks at me and he gives me like a big smile, like thumbs up. Like, was that good? <laughs> and I went, yeah, that was great. So he was, you know, he, that was the, that's the memories that I've, that I have hundreds and hundreds of those where the players were just having fun. And the, however they wanted to do it, I, I would go along with them. And, and because of that, they started to gain faith in me in that I wouldn't make them look bad necessarily, although, you know, Tommy, I kind of got under his skin a little bit, and there were probably a couple of players that I did some things that, you know, got under his <laughs> skin. But for the most part, they were all just having fun, and they, they would come to me before a, a homestand and say, hey, my kids are going to be in section whatever if, if, their, if their families were on the road with them, and I would go visit them. And, you know, so I really, I really gained a lot of trust and faith in them and the umpires, and, and it was a wonderful process because then you had – all of these willing participants and the guys that didn't like me and hated the fanatic just stayed the heck away from me. And I stayed away from pitchers in general, unless they were relievers, you know, uh, the starters were pretty wound up. And so I would, you know, leave right. them alone. So it was just playing with the guys that wanted to play with me. Well, how about all your years uh, with the Phillies? Many, many came and many went, uh, any favorite Philly players? Uh, there were a few characters along the way. <laughs> well, well, see, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tony Kuhn was the very first uh, uh, Phillies personality. Was the first base coach uh, in in April 25th of 1978 that had a picture taken with me. I had the picture. I became very good friends with with Tony. Uh, Jay Johnstone certainly was. You know, he was one of the crazy guys. Larry Anderson. But you know, my all time favorite really was Tug McGraw. Um, I met him first when I was an intern before the Fanatic was created. He he loved the fact that I was left handed and I. I, I was a pitcher in baseball through high school, and he used to have a catch at me and tell me to throw his curveball, and then he would say, oh, that's a major league curveball. <laughs> Here's Tug McGraw. I'm a young kid. I'm, I'm only 19 years old uh, when I met him, and uh, and he remained – I remained friends with him. And ironically, he he contracted the same brain cancer that took his life that took my mother's life at uh, age 59. Um, so, uh, so you know, we, it was all the way until the end. We, we had some unfortunate things in common in that regard, but – he was just, he was a maniac and a, a funny, fast person and <laughs> took good care of me. And I got to know his father, Big Mac, and his, his, his brother, Frank, and uh, just, and, and of course, he knew his kids. And, and uh, you know, he, he just was a special person for me. Long live the Philly fanatic. Hey, let's talk about the current Philly squad, Tom, or Dave. There is a new manager who a lot of people are still struggling to get used to. There are a bunch of young players. Is this team on the right track? Can they actually contend for a wild card spot this year, do you think? Well, 
I'll t- you know, it, it, it is. Well, first of all, you know, Cap has been a really nice addition. He's he's fun to listen to. He's fun to read about, and and um, he's passionate, and and he knows baseball. Uh, I think that's really important. And he's got he's got the ear of these players. He's a, he's a great manager for a young team. Um, but the, the, this pitching staff is for real. I mean, Aaron Nola uh, went out and had a career high in strikeouts uh, yesterday. Um, you know, and, and got a win. And, and um, uh, Jake Arrieta is obviously a, a veteran. He adds to that. So it, it's it's the you know maybe the third fourth uh, starter and a, and a potential fifth starter has to you know they have to do their job. And of course the bullpen. It, it, it all comes down to the bullpen because in this day and age they're going six innings, seven innings if they're great. Rarely is there except for Max Scherzer, there's not too many people that go, you know, beyond the sixth or seventh inning to even take him out. So um, it's mm-hmm. really going to be the bullpen that makes a difference. And if uh, Herrera can continue to hit like that and, and, and lead the rest of these guys, I mean, uh, he's on fire and, um, you know, and they've got some great power and, and Reese Hodgkins and, and, I mean, it's just, it's just really a fun dynamic group. Um, and I certainly think the uh, wild card is, is within their reach. Um it's it's just a, you know it's a long long season. Boy, Dave, uh, I'm curious. You've been around the game a long time, uh, and and me and Chet too, as uh, as fans. Are you buying into all this analytics? Are you are you able to change? Because I could tell you, this old dinosaur isn't changing real quick with all this stuff. <laughs> Well, I think I'm I'm certainly old school. I mean, my father was a catcher at Michigan in the '50s, and um, you know he's known as a football coach, but he really was was a baseball guy through and through. And um, and I think he actually was not uh, so dissatisfied with analytics in general. I, you know, the, the the issue is, I think, is that I don't think you can be all one way or all the other. I, I think you have to have some instincts. I mean, uh, imagine if you have the best of uh, of Sparky Anderson um, and and the best of analytics and you and you mix those together, um, you you really would would come out with some brilliance. Uh, the issue with analytics that I have is that you must follow this. You know, you can't cause in order for it to to work out in the end based on the numbers, you have to continue to do it over and over and over again. And you and you can't play hunches or you can't you know look at personalities or or somebody's particular mood in an in an, an evening or two or see something in an at bat that you decide to change the shift on but you it just doesn't allow you to do that so for me that's the frustrating thing cuz sometimes you think oh gosh you know this guy's last at bat we you know do we really need to shift on but you know it just it that, that's the thing i don't like about it is it doesn't give you you know some of the instincts and and brilliance of of great managers had nothing to do with the numbers it's just you know, what they were feeling at a particular time. And, um, you know, and, and I just think all or nothing always leaves you open for criticism. So I, I'd love to see a better mix. Although, you know, uh, Gabe seems to be a guy who is, is totally on the analytics line, and we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dave, uh, I want to get an update before we let you go, an update on what you're doing these days. I know you're doing some public speaking still. Uh, are you also still mentoring mascots? And by the way, we've said in the past that John Brazer has perhaps the best title anywhere. He is the Phil's director of fun and games. But on the second thought, your title goes one step further. You are emperor of fun and games at Raymond Entertainment Correct. Group, right? That's because I stole the title from him. And when I did it, I go, well, before he even knew I was stealing his title, I went, well, I'll just be emperor of fun and games. And then John, when he gets mad at me, he goes, I'm sorry, I overrule you. You're, you're only a director. Leave me alone. And, and I love it. friends with John, and, and so we joke about that all the time. Well, I, I appreciate you mentioning the public speaking. I, I just finished a, a TEDx talk 
here in Wilmington was a great honor to be selected as um, one of the speakers for an Age of Amazement event. Uh, that's going to go live on YouTube in about 30 days. There's a lot of uh, approval process that you go through from TED International, but I'm really thrilled about that because that's going to be available uh, around the globe into perpetuity, and, and it was a wonderful experience. So I'll stay tuned for, for that, and I'll, I'll be letting everybody know that's close to me when that comes live. The, the, the biggest thing on the horizon for us is the Mascot Hall of Fame. It's The building has been finished. It's in Whiting, Indiana, about 30 miles south. Uh, east of Chicago, sits right on the shores of Lake Michigan. It's a beautiful little small USA town, and um, this is going to be the Disney of mascots. I just finished meeting with Chicago Scenic, who's the general contractor, working for Jack Roush and Associates, as well as a a handful of other uh, dynamic companies that are building the exhibits now. The exhibits are going to be built on site at Chicago Scenic and then shipped to Whiting and installed. We're looking for a spring opening in 2019, And it's really going to be an amazing place. It's not um, static. It's not reverent or formal. It is silliness and, and, uh, and recognizing the unsung heroes of sports mascots. So, you know, everybody can hear this and please, you know, tell everybody they got to look it up, go to mascothalloffame.com. You know, we're, there'll be an ability for people. We're a nonprofit. There'll be ability for people to support us with small donations or large donations. We've got the support of, uh, Major League Baseball uh, in that uh, the Phillies and the Cleveland Indians and the uh, Chicago White Sox have all uh, supported us financially, and we've got a lot of colleges and universities that are doing the same. So um, look for that. That's my that's the most exciting thing. That's a legacy piece. Um, it's going to be a very special place, so I can't wait for people to go to Whiting and see that. Excellent. That is awesome. That is really cool. Well, Dave, hey, I think we used up all your all your time already again. And, uh, like, every time we have you on here, we could just talk for the whole hour. <laughs> I just want to know, Chet, who do I send the invoice to? To Bill, I guess, right? Chet. <laughs> <laughs> send it to Chet. Bill, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my normal fee. I, 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 won't, uh, I won't put my normal higher percentage on for you. I'm just going to give you my normal fee. Thanks, all Dave. Right. Okay. Appreciate that. Sounds good. <laughs> Hey Dave, good luck with uh, with your endeavors. Good luck with the Hall of Fame. Happy birthday to the fanatic. You got a lot going on. Thanks, guys, and and keep us in mind. Love to come back when you need me. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Appreciate Dave. you. All right. Bye now. Thanks, guys. All right, Bill. We're going to take a break right now and allow me to tell you about the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorn, PA. By now, you know the Irish Rover has great dinners: steak, chicken ribs several varieties of burgers, awesome sandwiches and wraps, and yes, those superb gourmet wings. A final reminder for you, the Irish Rover is taking reservations for their annual Mother's Day brunch. This Sunday is Mother's Day, everybody. Call 267-560-5240. That's 267-560-5240. Every Wednesday evening, it's trivia night. Always Phillies and NBA and NHL playoff games on the Rovers' many big TVs. 24 beers on tap, plus a great bunch of bartenders and waitstaff. It is the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. And, hey, Bill, since the Sixers are up in Beantown this evening. (laughs) Hey, always look forward to that music clip coming out of the Irish. All right. I was going to play Aerosmith. I was going to play Aerosmith. You know, they're from Boston, but uh, we went with Dirty Water by the Standells instead. You can't go wrong with that one. 
Yeah, we don't want to give uh, Boston too much credit here. Let's not overdo no. it. Hey, as we mentioned in the opening, Sixers had to fight to play another day, that day being today, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time, 2 p.m. out here where I am, Chet. And it's all one quarter at a time for the Sixers right now. One quarter at a time, one possession at a time. The odds are certainly against them based on history. You've heard the stat quite a bit over the last several days. Teams that dropped the first three games of a best of seven in the NBA have never come all the way back to win it. And that's a pretty big sample size, too, 129 series. So can the Sixers make some history? It's unlikely. But, yeah, one possession, one quarter at a time. The sad thing is the Sixers really could have and maybe even should have won both games two and three, but they couldn't get it done Maybe TJ will be the superhero again this evening. Well, I'm sure there's going to be some adjustments made on the on the Celtics side. Uh, TJ definitely took over the game and did a lot of really good things. And uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about this with our special guest we have coming up, uh, Matt McClure, in just a second. But I I think uh, we'll have to talk about Brett Brown some because uh, he, as much as he got jumped on for some of the things that happened in the first couple games. His adjustment in game four certainly helped them win that. So with with that, let's welcome back to Philly Press Box Radio, one of our Sixers insiders from Brothers MC Podcast, Matt McClure. Matt, welcome back. How you doing? Good, Good day, Matt. Matt. <laughs> Matt, it's Chet. Yeah, welcome back to uh, Philly Press Box Radio. Um, I want to ask you, let's get right to it. As we wait for game five to tip off here on this Wednesday evening, why are the Sixers in this three games to one hole? Well, I really think the biggest thing is Ben Simmons really hasn't showed up at all. Really through the first three games, even really in the fourth game, T.J. McConnell won that game pretty much with his great performance. He stepped up in the starting lineup in game four, and he played very well. And Ben Simmons has been a no-show and pretty much all three games. He did have an okay game one, game two. Obviously, that one-point game ain't good enough. It's You just can't score one point and be compared to Magic Johnson. I'm sorry, that just can't happen. And then game three, <laughs> he had some really bad turnovers late, and that's what really cost the Sixers, I think, in the first three games. His inconsistency, his, it, it just it doesn't seem aggressive in wanting to go to the basket. I know – the Celtics are making a really good adjustment uh, defensively, putting bigger guys on them like Horford and Morris. But I think if you're that good of a player, you should be able to get yours, and he has it. Yeah, Matt, I think the thing that surprises me is the fact that uh, not only is he not driving to the basket, just as you said, but uh, not he won't take that jump shot the, even a mid-range jump shot with nobody on it. I mean, he he wants to try to either pass it off or push it down even lower, and uh, you're just not going to be a star in the league until you can hit that shot. Yeah, and the comparison to LeBron James part two, I can see it because of his, his length. He can dribble the ball. He can bring up the ball up the court. Um, he can drive to the basket, but unless he doesn't get that jump shot, he's just – Really, it's all raged on Rondo at this point. Um, and I think Rondo has a little bit more edge to him than Simmons, and I'm waiting to see it. I think in this game it's going to be key because T.J. McConnell uh, 
he did play well in game four, but I think the Celtics are going to be ready for it this time. So I'm really expecting Ben Simmons tonight to show up. I, I just, it's his, it's his time. He's due. I think this is the game he shows why he was the number one pick and is compared to LeBron James. Yep, I hope you're right. Hey, Matt, uh, true confession. You mentioned T.J. McConnell, and true confession, I have a bit of a man crush on T.J. McConnell. I just love watching him play. The fact that he's such a spark plug, a guy who doesn't have the natural athletic ability or skills like many other NBA players, but who always gives 110% and often gives his team a real lift, as he did Monday night. And by the way, our buddy Fred Hugo said to make sure to mention the uh, uh, tweet that Ruben Frank put out there. 76ers with 75% from the field and at least 15 points, five assists, and five rebounds in a playoff game in the last 50 years. Will Chamberlain, Julius Irving, Mo Cheeks, and T.J. McConnell. <laughs> There's no question there. I just wanted to express my man love for T.J. McConnell. So go ahead, Matt. <laughs> yeah, he's been the difference maker. I mean, he was the difference maker in game four. I, honestly, in game two, when he was out there down the stretch, I wish Brett Brown would have kept him in because he had yep. an opportunity. He had a good opportunity, and he was making the most out of his minutes, and he really came to play. He's came to play every game this series that he's gotten a chance to. So, T.J. McConnell, I he's probably going to be in the starting lineup tonight. I don't think uh, – I mean, after game four, I don't see why he wouldn't be. So I'm yeah, he's expecting gotta be. him to get some major minutes tonight. So uh, he's been great, and uh, he's like you said, he's been the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what was funny to me uh, in in looking up some information for for the show. Uh, you know, you look at the Sixers shooting stats for the, for this playoffs nine games in, and and the thing that was really caught me off guard. Take take McConnell out because he had, doesn't have a ton of shots, or Amir Johnson who doesn't either. Percentage-wise, shooting the leader, Ben Simmons, at 48%, which really surprised me. Dario Saric yep. at only 40%. Bellinelli, 40%. As a yep. team, they're shooting 43.2% from the field. You're not winning many games yep. that way. No, and the Sixers, when they were going into the series, going into game two, uh, the two games they lost, because they did lose game two, obviously, they, they shot 19, or game one, rather, they shot 19% in that game, and then game two in Miami, or against Miami, uh, they shot 19% in that game. And to be quite honest with you, I haven't been happy with the way Marco Bellinelli and Urson and really Dario played. Dario did play pretty well in the uh, game four of this series, but those guys made big-time shots against the Heat, and I'm not really seeing it in, in this series. I know Bellinelli hit that fadeaway three in the – the confetti came down. It was a two, but other than that, these guys haven't really been been playing to where they have all like second half of the season. So those guys also got to step up and and step up because doing that little dribble handoff thing and the Celtics are taking that away. They're just pressuring the the perimeter. So the Sixers really got to do what they did in Game Four, I guess, and really go inside and get baskets that way because it seemed to work because. Uh, the six or the Celtics can be undermanned sometimes if Baines and Horford uh, are out and they go a little smaller lineup. So I think the Sixers will continue to go inside in this in this series. Well, Matt, there's another name that you left out. He got a new contract last year, but what the hell has happened to Robert Covington? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
what really? <laughs> I mean, he had a great game too, and it, it seemed like he was getting back on the right track. He scored about 24 points. He made like four or five threes. It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And then he goes out in game three and doesn't make one shot. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but everybody praises him for that defensive presence. And even then against Al, a bigger Al Horford, he didn't get the job done there. I mean, yep. TJ McConnell played 39 minutes at game five and he didn't play a, a bunch at all. Uh, he's coming off the bench now. Maybe that will elevate his game a little bit because right now, I just, like you said, what is wrong with him? He got that <laughs> big deal, like you mentioned, and now he can't make a shot to save his life. Yeah, and, and to follow up on that, the statistics on him, by the way, 32% from the field, 31% from the arc. Uh, not very good. No, you're not going to win games that doing that. And when especially for him or his contribution, rather, he's got to be better. Uh, on the offensive end, we've relied on him uh, countless times at, during this these playoffs, and he hasn't come through at all. And we're going to need him if you, we want to make a comeback and be that one team to come back from 3-0. Hey, Matt, Boston hey, Matt. Uh, rookie Jason – Jason Tatum is having a very good series. Markel Fultz from the Sixers took number one overall last June after trading up from number three in a deal with the Celtics yep. is riding the bench. Did Danny Ainge pull one over on Brian Colangelo and company, or will Fultz end up being the real deal down the road? Uh, you know, what What do you think? I mean, I, it's tough to tell. I, I haven't seen enough of Markel Fultz. Did he come back the last ten games of the season and prove he can play? Yes. But – Jason Tatum has been off the charts this series, and Markel Fultz, he's not even going and playing. Um, he's not even in the rotation. He's chewing his uh, string on his hoodie and watching Jason Tatum <laughs> just dominate. And I, I've heard comparisons to uh, Kawhi Leonard. I can see it. He's a good defender. He's a good two-way player, can put the ball in the hoop. And uh, he's been a major problem for the Sixers so far. I I think the Celtics might have won this one and and won that trade to get up uh to get them so or trade down rather uh and get them I think they were going to take them either way I don't think the Sixers yeah. were really going to take Tatum at all uh, Dr. J even said they wish they would have taken Tatum and uh Fultz was pretty much just like hey I got to still prove I can play so um right now I'd probably say Tatum well, I'm hoping it's a little too early to make that decision. As you said, uh, Matt, we, we don't have much sample size on Fultz yet, so let's not throw the throw the baby out right yet. Let's let him get a chance to play a little bit, I I think. Well, yeah, hey, I Matt, mean, what, what, yeah. what's, your take, what's your take on Brett Brown? Uh, they're wanting to run him out of town after game three. He makes his move with McConnell in game four. Looks like a genius. Um, <laughs> you know, the chances of getting through this series are probably pretty slim. Uh, yep. So if they get eliminated in five games or even six games, uh, what's your assessment of the Brett Brown job here this year? Well, I think Brett uh, has done a pretty good job overall. Um, he took a team that won 10 games, and he actually has a legit team now, and they won 52, went 52 and 30, won 16 games in a row. 
Uh, I know the teams they played weren't as good in that 16-game win streak. They did beat the Cavs in there. They beat the Timberwolves. But, uh, you know, I think he's done a pretty good job. But in this series, uh, it's been a little bit – he hasn't done that good of a job. Brett, or Brad Stevens um, is just dominating in the out-of-bounds or the inbounds plays. Uh, he doesn't seem – Brett just doesn't seem to get it right. And I also would say I think – you can't put all the blame on Brett Brown in this series because on the inbounds plays, you know, it just seems like some, some of it's just Sixers being lazy with the passes, especially late in game three. They were just kind of being lazy with the passes. Al Horford got a steal for crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't put it all on Brett Brown, but you know, he's got a part of it. I mean, like you said, he made a good switch with TJ McConnell in game uh, four. And I think, He's up to the challenge tonight. I think he'll be fine the rest of the series. But overall, I think Brett Brown's done a very good job with the Sixers this year. So the Celtics will be even better next year when they are than they are this year, presumably when they add a healthy Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving is fully recovered. What do the Sixers need to do to get more competitive? And I'll leave it up to you, Matt, to decide whether to mention the name LeBron James. Well, he <laughs> he'd help. He'd help. Uh, <laughs> He'd, very, he'd help, I think, to get over the hump if you want to win a, a, a championship and, and be in the mix every year. LeBron James would most certainly help, depending on you know, if he wants to come here. He is in the top three of his decision. Um, I also heard uh, maybe be a move for Kawhi Leonard, but you'd have to get rid of Dario um, and uh, probably Markel in a first-rounder to get him. Um, I think it's just a little bit of inexperience to be – quite honest with you but this is if you think about it this is Ben Simmons' first year playing and this is Joel Embiid's first real season like playing every game either he didn't or he started to play back to back this season so I think inexperience has something to do with it as well so I think if they just keep playing and progressing I think they'll be in this um, or be in the in the uh, be competitive every uh, every season from here on out. Yeah, I, I think, Matt, the way I'm looking at this thing is either you, you're going all in with LeBron, uh, you know, and try to get in, or you'll, you stay out and you keep building with the youngsters you have and let them grow up together. And yep. maybe it takes a little bit more time, but by the time they get there, they're all 25 years old, you know, with many years ahead of them. Or do you, or do you win now and go all in and try to get LeBron James? Yeah, I, that's the question they gotta, they gotta think about. I, I personally like, I think LeBron will help. He'll be the man. Everybody will love him. But if he's too expensive and and we don't want to pay him, I don't blame him at all. These guys are young, and I think the, what they got now, and they're gonna grow and keep growing. And I think the Sixers will be the team to beat in the East with the process and Embiid and Simmons. So I would love to have LeBron, but I don't want to say we don't need him, but like, I don't think we really do um, to be to compete in the East every single year. Uh, he's 33 now. Uh, he's probably got like five or six years left, but I think the Sixers will roll with what they got and uh, try to compete that way. 
All right, Matt, one final question from me. We're, of course, all pulling for the Sixers to, you know, pull off this miracle, but assuming it doesn't happen, uh, two-part question. Who wins the Celtics-Cavaliers series, and can either of those teams beat the Rockets or Warriors from the West in the NBA Finals? Okay. Um, I'm going to say the 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 Celtics, when the Celtics move on and the Cavs, and they play the Cavs, I'm going to go Cavs in five. Uh, it's going to be the same as last year. Uh, They're going to beat them up. LeBron's going to bully them. I don't think it's going to be really that close. Now, do the Celtics have some dogs on their team? They can really go out and get after it? Yes, but I think it's the LeBron James factor is going to play a huge uh, part in it, kind of like what what happens to the Raptors. And if the Cavs make it to the finals, when the Cavs make it to the finals, I think if they get the Rockets, They'll win it, but if they get to the war, get to the Warriors, I'll probably go uh, Warriors and six. So if they would get the Rockets, because just like the inexperience in Houston, uh, this is Chris Paul's first Western Conference Finals. So if they would somehow get to the finals, I think LeBron could beat uh, the Rockets. But if it was the Warriors and the Cavs again, I gotta go Warriors. They're just way too talented. And the Cavs just have absolutely no supporting cast to even compete with the Golden State Warriors. Fair enough. All right. Hey, Matt, before we wrap it up, uh, tell us again how uh, we can listen to the Brothers MC podcast, what time you guys have that going on, and how's it going? Yeah, uh, so we usually go uh, every Friday now. It used to be Thursday um, at 4.30. We have, uh, if you go to, blogtalkradio.com slash brothers mc podcast uh you can uh see all our edit or videos we have about like 20 or 21 videos now uh it's been going very well we've been trying to get uh more guests on the show or you know more callers uh, we have a twitter now or we've had a twitter but it's i seen i feel like it's growing a little bit as uh, people are uh i think enjoying it and it's uh, actually really fun to do so um yeah, follow us on Twitter at, at, at bro underscore MC podcast to, uh, and like us on Facebook at Brothers MC podcast to uh, get more updates. All right. You know Matt. your stuff, Matt. Well, good hey, job. We appreciate it. Good luck, and uh, good luck with that. And you know, as always, if uh, Chad or I could help you here, uh, we'll certainly be glad to do it. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. Go six. Thanks, All Matt. right. You got it. Go Sixers. Hey, Chet, let's remind our listeners about our website, phillypressboxradio.com. We post daily articles off the Philly sporting events. We write some articles as well. We have links to our shows, Vimeos, our sponsor pages as well. And be sure to check it out each day at phillypressboxradio.com. Yeah, and hopefully I won't have to write a Sixers post-mortem story for a good while yet. That's my goal. (laughs) <laughs> well, you, you're getting pretty good at it with flyers. Uh, <laughs> let's hang on. Let's hang on a couple more days, anyway. I hope so. Hey, Chad, before we before we talk Phillies, uh, I think we're in our final week of our Q2 segment. So let's get it done. Yes, Bill. For the final time this year, it's back on the hot seat for you. This is it. Week ten of season two of Random Q2. As you know, if you've been listening, Random Q2 is our little 10-week segment. We did it last year. We're doing it again this year. I asked Bill two little questions. The first question about a sports topic, something timely usually, while the second question is one of 10 random questions that were written down two or three months ago about whatever. Bill picks a number from 1 to 10 each week for that one, and that'll be the week's second question. 
It's all for fun, of course. All right, your first question this week, Bill. You predicted a 76-win season for the Phillies. I said 82. Six weeks into the season, the up-and-down Phillies are a half game out of first in the NL East and right in the thick of the wild card race at 20-15. and 15. So, based on what you've seen so far, how are you feeling about your 76-win prediction? Um, I don't know that I'm going to change it a whole lot yet. Um, I'm, I'm surprised the way some things are going. Certainly, but uh, and we'll talk about this here as soon as we get through with our Q2 segment. I think when you have Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta uh, going back to back, you got a chance to win both those games every series. Yep, uh, that certainly is a big help. But there there are plenty of mysteries, and the fact that they're still only hitting in the two thirties as a team, uh, so is everybody else in baseball too. Interestingly enough. But uh, I think there's still definitely a work in progress. Bullpen scares me. Um, you know, you can't blow games once a week either. We'll talk more Phil's in a minute. But for your second question this week on Random Q2, Bill, I need you to pick a number right between one and three. That would be the number two. Yes, go ahead and <laughs> give me number two. Number two, David Akers. I hope you do as well as Mr. Akers did at the draft in Dallas last month. Number two. <laughs> Me too. We learned last year that you are a Bruce Springsteen fan and that you actually got to see Elvis in concert. The question, though, is what was the very first big-time concert that you saw? The very first one was somewhere around 1975, 6-ish, and it was Cat Stevens in concert. Really? Wow. Mine was yep. in 1976, yep. and it was Kiss in Harrisburg. So, Cat Stevens for you, Kiss for me. There you go, taking you way back. Yep, and I, and I did follow it up that year. I did go to some concerts. Uh, Boston was there. I got to see them. Uh, the Eagles with some lead band called Boss Gags. Uh, huh. All around nice. that same time, along with a, a couple JFK concerts back in the day. Very nice. All right, you're done for the year, Bill. I'm going to give you a very solid B plus. B plus. All right. Uh, <laughs> you know, you get me on. You get me on some of those TV things. But uh, I got you. I, I know. I got you on Fantasy Island the other day. So uh, there you go. <laughs> I saw that. Hey, Jay, Jet. Let's talk about those Phillies, as we say, a bit of a mystery, highs and lows, uh, half game out. What do you say? What do you think? Giving you, you tried to pin me down on my my seventy six wins. Uh, what's your take to the mystery right now? Well, as we mentioned, as you were alluding to, you got Aaron Nola and Jake Arrieta, which helps a lot. Nola is 5-1, and one, and at this point, not only a likely all-star, but an early candidate for Cy Young Award. Remember when he was a rookie and the word from a lot of the knowledgeable baseball people was that Nola's upside was maybe a solid number three or perhaps a number two guy. Well, he's looking very much like a potential ace these days, and he doesn't even turn 25 until next month. So, yeah, Nola has been pretty much great every start so far. And Arietta has had maybe a couple of clunkers, but has otherwise been very, very good in his first year with the Phils. And also, Zach Eflin has thrown a couple of absolute gems since being recalled. So, the starting pitching is suddenly looking like a real positive. Now, I said 82 wins for the Phils. I'm not going to change my prediction either because, as you said, a lot can still go wrong. A lot of guys aren't hitting yet. Injuries are going to happen. You know that. Um, so I'll stick with my prediction, but I will also say that they are a fun team to watch. They're starting to get a little more timely hitting, 
And that pitching staff is really good. And if the bullpen does its job, they can certainly compete for a wild card spot or maybe even a division title. Whew. Wow. Well, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't even know what maybe. to say about that. Hey, but now you take that chaos and you look at the lineup tonight in the game that's just underway and you have more chaos. That Aaron Altair, your boy, that's sitting in the in the four hole while Hoskins has been in the two hole for probably two weeks, I guess it's been now. And tonight Hoskins is not playing as his average has fallen out the bottom. But they finally move Altair out of the four spot and move him to the two spot where he probably should have been all along. So they <laughs> could move Santana to the four spot tonight. I uh you know, you've got Nick Williams in there. Okay, I, I get it. They're giving they're giving Hoskins a night off. That's okay. They're also giving Kingry a night off, and then they're batting the pitcher in the eight hole and the catcher in the nine hole. It is just chaos when you look at how this thing goes. Boy, are you blowing things out of proportion. There's nothing wrong with any of what you said as far as, you know, being a problem. I think Hoskins needs a night off. He's been slumping greatly lately, striking out a lot. Yeah, and and that, that's not him. He normally has a much better eye. He can, you know, get to two strikes and still not worry about striking out. That was the case last year and even the beginning of this year. But he's striking out a lot. He looks a little bit lost right now. So I think it's good that he's getting the night off. I agree that Altair should be up in the two spot when Hoskins certainly, you know, isn't playing at least. Santana's starting to hit a little bit. He's hit homers in the last two games. So nothing wrong there. I don't care if the pitcher bats eighth or ninth. Not a big deal to me. So I don't have a problem with any of that. The key, Odubel Herrera is on fire of late. What's he hitting? 340, right there among the league leaders. And your pal, Michael Franco, is starting to hit. You don't seem to like him, but the guy's hitting lately. He's hitting right around 280. He's hitting with some power now. And, uh, boy, if he gets hot, that's a good thing. That is a good thing. The only thing I would like to see, and I don't have this number, but I'd like to see what that Reese Hoskins batting average when it went in the tank how that relates to batting in the two hole it's a whole different deal batting in the two hole than it is in the four hole and maybe he needed a day off because they had him in a bad position so i'm not uh i'm not buying into all this stuff yet put these guys where they belong and leave them alone and the catcher does not bat below the pitcher for god's sake stop it boy you are an old fogey (laughs) <laughs> well, I just tell you the way it is. I just tell you the way it is. But but I tell you, we got to we got to give them credit. Uh, as we say, they're half game out after 35 games. I believe they're fourth in those uh, runs allowed, which is pretty good considering they've had some clunkers from the bullpen and not too many clunkers from the starter. Although Jake Pavetta can't seem to beat the Florida Marlins for some reason, and uh, yeah. they're scoring some runs too. So you got to give them a little bit of props. You still never know what you're going to get from that Vince Velasquez. He's good for a couple of games, then you know, he reverts to old form again. And Nick Pavetta's been a disappointment. He started off pretty well the first three or four starts, but now the last three or four, not so good. And uh, I really want to see Pavetta get going because I, I like his stuff. I think he's got potential. Uh, we'll see what happens there. And we hear that Jared Eikhoff should be able to come back by the end of May. He's already you know doing some rehab work and pitching in minor league uh, games, I guess so. Jared Eikhoff could come back and maybe knock Velasquez or Pavetta out of the rotation. Well, and it'd be interesting if that happens, where where they go from here. You know, uh, they're, I'm just not quite so sure um, 
who they move to the bullpen or who they try to do something else with. It's going to be interesting to see. Yes, it is. All right. We got uh, we do have the Mets coming up after this, then the Orioles and the Cardinals, and then those first-place Braves. So, um, you know, there's some good games in May. Toronto and the Dodgers are, are also in May. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll know a lot about these guys in the next uh, 20 days. Hey, speaking of the Mets, I didn't see the particulars or watch the video or anything, but they actually got in trouble and uh, I guess got an automatic out because they batted out of order in today's game, Wednesday afternoon. It doesn't happen very often, but I guess Jay Bruce went up and it wasn't his turn yet, and so it was an automatic out. I know it happened in the game a couple of years ago, but, but you don't see that a whole lot in a Major League Baseball game. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I saw that as well. I don't. Uh, I don't know what happened or how it happened, but uh, yeah, I saw where that it's an automatic out, no doubt about it. Yeah. And I believe, I believe the rule is you don't have, even have to see a pitch. I think if they announce you, that gets you that that's your official at bat once you're announced. Yeah, and it's certainly weird to have it happen at a major league level. I mean, with the lineup being posted and guys, you know, supposedly knowing where they're hitting in the order, I, I don't know how that could even happen. Yep, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's when you've got the pitcher bat in eighth and the catcher bat in ninth, and uh, the catcher thinks he's supposed to be up where he should be. <laughs> it's almost like a manager calling for a bullpen reliever to come in when the reliever wasn't warming up yet. That could never happen. <laughs> <laughs> that could never happen either. Uh, well, you know, the Phils are going to be fun to watch. Hopefully they can hang around here a little bit longer and uh, and make it for a fun summer anyway. And uh, I think I think if winning or even making a playoffs might be a push. But, you know, being competitive and getting better, that's, that's what I think we have to look for with all these youngsters. Yeah, and I wasn't predicting a playoff berth for the Phils. I'm just saying it could happen. I mean, they're, you know, right there in the mix right now. So it could happen. We'll see. Well, right right now, it doesn't look like anybody wants to take it. So, you know, there's nobody that's just so much better than everybody else. So, you know, why not? Why not hang around and do it? Be bold. Be bold. I like that. That's a good slogan. There you go. Hey, Chet, wanted to get to some uh, updates on the signings of Carl's Cards and Collectibles in Havertown because he's got some good stuff. We've got to keep pumping this out there because he keeps bringing in good guests, and I always feel like the uh, – the listeners need to know who's out there, so we keep adding them. So he's got Phillies, he's got 2016 Villanova National Champions, the Super Bowl champion Eagles, and the Flyers all coming in. So on, on June 12th, Cornelius Randolph, who's an up-and-coming uh, potential star for the Phillies, will be there. Larry Anderson and Sarge Gary Matthews. Uh, July 2nd, Chris Jenkins of the game-winning shot for the national championship and teammate Daryl Reynolds. July 9th, Nate Sudfeld. You know him, Chet, along with Duke Staley going to be in the house. I know those and guys. On, and on July 16th, that Bernie Perrant, always a great guest. Any uh, any interest in those guys from you? Well, a nice lineup there at Carl's. And, you know, as many times as Bernie has been there, I bet he still draws a nice crowd. He's just so great with all the Flyers fans. And, hey, you mentioned that Cornelius Randolph. He better get his average up before June 12th. He's only hitting 182 at Reading so far this year. So uh, he's got a lot of potential, but he's not off to a great start down at Reading. Yeah, you're right. And uh, But I think uh, these, this is a pretty good group of, uh, of signers. I think uh, the Nate Sudfeld, Deuce Staley, Deuce is going to be a big draw, I think. And uh, Chris Jenkins, you know, that, that's a memorable shot, a memorable photo that goes with that. So 
I expect that to oh, be yeah. good as well. Absolutely. Like said, before our before our parting shots, tell us who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week. Well, one guy who won't be on the show next week is that Bill Furman. You're going to be uh, right. doing more of the vac- doing more of the vacation thing, from what I understand. Uh, so it won't be the same without you, Bill. But it will be a fun, busy show nonetheless. Wait till you hear this: three guests next week. Three guests. We have Philly Inquirer sports columnist Mike Sealski joining me to talk all things Philly sports. Plus, we have a return visit from Philly.com contributor and personal fitness trainer Ashley Blake Greenblatt. Okay. She's going to give us some exercise tips for the spring and summer because I need them. And what will be, I promise, a fun conversation, that'll be a talk with WMMR Radio nighttime DJ Jackie Bam Bam. We will be all over the place next week, Bill. Oh, big flip-flops to fill, and you're filling them. (laughs) Got to do what you got to do. Very good, very good. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. I know it'll be great and uh, look forward to listening. With that, Mr. Chesco, parting shot for you tonight? Well, Bill, uh, Sylvester Stallone has been in Philly much of this spring filming Creed II, the sequel to Creed, which was, of course, something of a uh, sequel to the Rocky franchise. And by the way, if you haven't seen Creed from 2015, shame on you. Anyway, a video surfaced yesterday of Sly, now 71, taking a little trip down memory lane, visiting some of the memorable sights from the classic 1976 Rocky film, including the steps of his character's old apartment, 1818 Tusculum Street, which is actually in Kensington. A lot of memories went down here. I remember when I uh, did the scene with Adrian here, and I said, look at this face. This is the face you can trust. Someday they're going to put this face on a stamp. Anyway, great memories, 1818s. Pretty fantastic. Some things come to an end, some things don't. There's just no end to Rocky. You keep punching. Yeah, and he's right. Even when the sequels stop, there will always be that memorable film franchise. What does it say about a city in which one of its most famous statues is that of a fictional character? I don't know, but it's pretty damn cool, and I'm looking forward to Creed II. Excellent. Good stuff. Hey, uh, Chet, with that, we're running out of time, so we've reached the top of the hour. Let's thank our special guest, David Raymond, Matt McClure, Irish Rover Station House, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May 16th at 7 p.m. You can listen to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet, at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Radio or on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Mixcloud. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans, Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl 52 champions. And go Sixers. Three, four, five.